Hello and welcome to the Renaissance Polymath. I'm your host, Toby Gagnon, and on this episode, I would like to discuss secret societies. Let's go ahead and get things started. Let's start with arguably the most famous secret societies of them all, the ones that have inspired so many books and movies and tall tales and that still drive suspicion and intrigue even today. I'm going to group all three of them together as they're all linked to each other in one way or another. That's not a myth or a legend. That's fact. Let's begin with the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar were a very real and not-so-secretive group that was founded in 1119 and was eventually recognized by the Pope a decade later. The purpose of the Templars was to be a military might and protect the interests of Christianity, including sites, artifacts, buildings, people, and pilgrimages. Over the course of nearly 200 years, they grew exponentially in number, power, and tactics. By the turn of the 14th century, they had grown so powerful that they garnered attention and suspicion. As with any society of power, rumors of greed, corruption, hearsay, and forbidden practices soon permeated the Templars. These suspicions triggered an angry response from nobles of the time and came to a head when the French King Philip IV attacked the group on the night of Friday, October 13, 1307. Many of the knights were killed during this attack, but there were some that survived or escaped. Then, in 1312, the then-Pope Clement V officially disbanded the group, ending a nearly 200-year existence of protection of Christianity. Some say the group disappeared and was relegated to the pages of history. Others, including myself, believe that a group of that wealth power and influence doesn't just simply stop and dissolve and likely operated in the shadows under a new name. Which brings me to the next organization I'm grouping in with the Knights Templar, the Freemasons. While the Grand Lodge, or Association of Lodges, was not founded until 1717, the teachings of Freemasonry are rumored to go back some 300 years earlier as far as 1390. These early lodges were founded by groups of men who were stonemasons and cathedral builders, and then quickly adopted teachings and practices of different religions and brotherhood societies from all time periods, ancient and current alike. Though often believed to be a Christian organization, Freemasonry does not believe in religion. It does teach components of religion, including the belief in a higher power, called the Supreme Being, immortality of the soul, morality, charity, and obedience. I'll be honest, when researching the Freemasons and now verbalizing it to you, I can see how this could be the Knights Templar rebranded. The teachings and beliefs are similar. The joining process would have evolved but kept its roots, and I can understand the group wanting to distance itself from religion after the horrible things that they endured at the hands of the kings and the pope. Freemasons must be men. Though there were lodges that popped up in Europe and other areas in the 19th century that were women only. Even today, you must be a male to join the organization. However, a 2018 ruling stated that a male who undergoes a sex change, quote, does not stop being a Mason, unquote, and that transgender men are eligible to join. Needing to be a male to join is an important note as it directly conflicts with the next secret society, the Illuminati. The Illuminati, which is a plural of the Latin word Illuminatus, meaning enlightened or revealed, has an origin that is more legend, cryptic, and full of mystery. Some claim the group can be traced back to 1492, others say 1537, and more still say not until 1776. 
Interestingly, I found through my research that this group seemed to follow the Freemasons around Europe, and they keep popping up in the same places just a few years apart. The one thing that is not debated, however, is the prominence of women and female figures. The story that traces back to 1492 states that one of the group's founders and early leaders was Maria de Santo Domingo, who came to be known as La Beta de Pedrejita, and forgive the pronunciation. From the beginning, women were included in all aspects, which went directly against the religious and societal norms of the times. In most cases, the Illuminati faced scrutiny and backlash for this decision and were often forced underground and driven deeper into secrecy. At its core, the traditional Illuminati teachings seem to have been the earliest form of quote-unquote inclusion that civil rights activists claim to be fighting for today. When someone says the Illuminati, they are usually referring to one of two sects within the organization, the Rosicrucians or the Bavarian Illuminati. The Rosicrucians are the group that is referred to as the protector of Christ's bloodline. This was popularized with the book and subsequent film, The Da Vinci Code. The Bavarian Illuminati are the group that is often referred to as the ones who are working behind the scenes to control all aspects of the New World Order, which is a whole other topic for another day. The Bavarian Illuminati was founded in 1776 and often recruited members directly from the Freemason lodges. They were officially disbanded following a law enacted by the Bavarian government, which disallowed any organizations not officially endorsed by the crown. As we know, with the history of not only the Illuminati, but secret organizations as a whole, is that they never really cease to exist. They are just driven into greater secrecy. So I don't think a person of normal intelligence and critical thinking would, for a second, believe a secret organization or teachings would ever really stop. They would just simply evolve and rebrand. Interestingly, the next secret society I'd like to discuss is rumored to be modeled after the Bavarian Illuminati. This group boasts a who's who membership list, though it's never been clear of its full roster. Like the Freemasons before them, only men were admitted, but that was changed in 1992. The group has had at least three members who later became president of the United States and many others who have held political, powerful, and influential positions across the globe. I am speaking, of course, of the Secret Society of Yale University, the Skull and Bones. Founded in 1832, this group was supposed to be for young men who showed a promising future, regardless of their background. However, the Skull and Bones has since transitioned to a group that favors money, power, and influence with each year's inductions. In fact, only 15 new members are brought in each year, and the lineage of quote-unquote bonesmen, as they are referred to, can be mostly traced to only 14 of America's oldest and most prominent families. This means that the offspring of past members, especially those who have held high-ranking positions, are given priority over those who wish to join but aren't of a preferred family tree. The joining process has claimed to be known and made public by a couple of journalists in the past, but the ceremonies they described in their articles don't seem like those that would be a part of a society like the Skull and Bones. To me, they seem like a deterrent or a false lead, encouraging people to believe the group is something they are not, something benign. Of course, I'm not claiming this group is primarily of nefarious intent. Quite the contrary. 
I believe they are simply a rich and wealthy's group where one hand washes the other and all work to ensure they remain at the top. Of course, when you get so many rich, powerful, and influential people together in one group or in one place, it's tough to believe there aren't plans that are put into place that the greater population isn't privy to or will benefit from. All right, let's move from a university group to a post-university group, Bohemian Grove. You've probably heard about it if you're the type that has also heard the name Alex Jones. If not, let me tell you briefly about who they are and who they claim to be. What started simple evolved into a well-guarded annual meeting for the rich and powerful. Lawyers, journalists, and artists began meeting in 1872 as a way for like-minded men to get away from the bustle of the city and share in their love for the arts together. Membership in the group has always been, and continues to this day, to only be allowed to men. Women are not allowed to be members, though they sometimes are allowed to be guests for a very small part of the events. The men would spend at least a week basically partying in the woods, drinking, doing drugs, etc. They keep their membership numbers very low intentionally, as they did not want their organization to become infiltrated by those corporate types, as they called them. In fact, they adopted a motto then, which they still use today. Weaving spiders come not here. What that is supposed to mean is that this is a place for fun and relaxation, and you should never discuss work or business. That may have been the case in the beginning, but it is definitely not the case anymore. You see, you can only fund weeks-long getaways out of your own pocket for so long. At some point, you'll want to expand or buy your own land or build better living quarters and many other things. Well, that costs money. So soon after the group started, they began to recruit new members who were wealthy and who could quote-unquote donate to their group. This meant that the group could grow and afford more and nicer things, but it also meant that the wealthy likely wanted something in return. And as time went on, they got it. You see, this group has been a meeting place for so many over the years. They meet every July on their now 2,700-acre plot of land deep in the redwood forests of California. And while they may claim that talking business is not allowed, there have been many cases where someone was invited as a guest to come and later became the CEO of a major company, or the president of a bank, or the director of a federal agency, or even the president of the United States. The latter being at least Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. Also, in the early 1940s, there were a few guests who were invited to spend their time only talking business with each other. The result of that was increased donations and funding to specific groups and divisions and select universities for very specific research. Collectively, these groups and the research that was done was known as the Manhattan Project. Sticking with the rich and powerful, let's discuss the Bilderberg Group. It is absolutely a secret society, but not because people don't know it exists. Rather, it's secret because the people don't know what is discussed at their annual meetings, at what depth, or what outcomes and world-altering changes are made because of them. Their meetings first started in May 1954, but the group didn't have an official name. They met at the Hotel de Bilderberg in Oosterbeek, Netherlands. Henceforth, they became known as the Bilderberg Group. All subsequent meetings have been held at different high-end luxury hotels across the world every year. They are extremely closely guarded, using private security rather than local law enforcement. In fact, 
local authorities are barred from the premises where the meetings are being held. This is allowed since all of the meetings and locations are on private property. Also disallowed are any members of the media, including journalists. No minutes are taken from these meetings, and no record at all is kept regarding the discussions they had. Only vague outlines have ever been provided or found. There really isn't much to say about this group. They are that secretive. I encourage you to take the links that I've provided in the show notes and do some exploring on your own. Another great resource for this and other secret societies is the Secret Societies and Conspiracy Theories podcast by Parcast on Spotify. They are both weekly listens for me, and I would encourage you to check them out too. The last group that I'm going to discuss is actually two separate ones, but they live in the same vein. They are both still relatively new, and very little is known about them. In fact, I'm not going to go into detail about them at all, except to say that they exist, and it would be a good idea to do your own research on them. I would venture a guess to say that their work and influence has been felt all over the world, including by you, the listener. The groups are simply called Anonymous and Dark Side. I've linked to what little I could find about them in the show notes, but let that just be a starting point for your own exploration into them. So that about wraps up this episode, but I would encourage you to do your own continued research and education. I'll make sure to link to the things that I discussed in this episode in the show notes. On the next episode, I will be discussing Big Brother is Always Listening. If you have any feedback, feel free to send me an email at podcast at therenpo.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-N-P-O.com. I would also appreciate it if you left a review wherever you podcast. That helps this show be discoverable to others and helps me understand where things can be improved. Don't forget to subscribe and auto-download new episodes so you don't miss any of the future topics. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you.